welcome to the FT Advisor podcast. It's Jane Matthews here with you today and this week we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence and what impact it's likely to have on the world of financial advice. I'm going to assume that most if not all of our listeners are familiar with what AI is to a certain extent. News reports and conversations about it have been hard to avoid over the past six months since OpenAI launched ChatGPT back in November. And since then, there's been a huge amount of discussion around both the potential benefits and the risks posed by AI. Two weeks ago, Google held its annual I.O. event in California, where it showcased some of its generative AI products. You may have heard of BARD, the Google equivalent of ChatGPT, but we can also expect in the coming weeks and months further AI integration into Google Search and other Google products like Gmail and Google Docs. All of these things are likely to have a big impact on how many industries work. So with me today to discuss the impact on financial advice in particular, I'm joined by Chet Villani, Chief Executive of Financial Technology and Software Company EV, and Ian McKenna, the Founder and Director of the Financial Technology Research Centre. So welcome Chet and Ian, it's great to have you both here. Ian, so like I said, most people have probably heard of AI. But let's take a step back anyway. I did mention there's some of the work Google is doing in the area. And of course, the other big player is Microsoft, who have a long-term partnership with OpenAI, the creators of ChatGPT. Just give us a, a quick grounding, I guess, in what exactly artificial intelligence is and why there's been so much excitement about it in the past few months. Uh, well, to, to begin with, um... There are a number of forms of artificial intelligence or different processes that are collectively called uh, AI. Um, let, let's start with a simple definition that AI simulates human intelligence in, an, in a machine designed to think and act like humans. Uh, these can perform tasks that typically require human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition, decision-making, and language translation. Um, machine learning is a subset of AI that uses algorithms and statistical models. Uh, put simply, it enables computers to learn from data without being explicitly programmed. Deep learning is machine learning inspired the, by the structure and function of the brain, uh, also known as artificial neural networks. It uses multi-layered uh, neural networks to automatically learn from large amounts of data. Um, this has been particularly uh, successful in tasks like speech and image recognition, natural language processing and video analysis. And you know, we're now seeing all these different elements um, coming together. Um, effectively, ChatGPT, for example, uses a large language model. And this essentially means it assimilates vast amounts of data and is able to train itself from the information it receives. I could okay. go on for longer, but hope, hope, hopefully that gives people um, a good heads up. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a, that's a good um, space to start in. And I guess then in terms of who the big players are at the moment, are we talking it's mainly Microsoft with ChatGPT and then Google with their offering as well? Um, 
you, you've certainly got Microsoft, Google, um, Microsoft, as you've mentioned earlier, in partnership with OpenAI. They're also doing some work um, with Microsoft Azure. We are going to see, I mean, there's uh, the, the event right now, I'm at a, a technology advice technology conference uh, in the US. And for example, there are several firms here demonstrating their way, wares, which are fundamentally artificial intelligence systems um, designed to carry out an awful lot of the roles that a financial advisor would typically do, looking at portfolio creation, rebalancing, um, risk testing. These tools are being deployed in increasingly around key elements, and they're specific tools now, being built around key elements of the advice process. Um, one thing I find myself saying week in, week out is don't try and out-calculate a silicon chip. It'll beat you every time. And, you know, where we are now in a situation where silicon chips can not just use numbers, but they can use language and they can use measurement and they can take decisions, um, you know, that some of those possibilities are, are quite stunning. You know, there's a general view that AI can replace um, about 40% of the activity of um, professional services companies. Interestingly, I was playing around with ChatGPT on something I'm about to publish on our advisorsoftware.com site, um, looking at how many how many jobs will ChatGPT replace. Now, the software has been specifically written uh, to make it very hard to get that answer out of them. I actually worked with a friend of mine who's a, a world-leading data scientist, and we worked the right way to actually persuade the system to adopt certain personas to give us those answers. What was really interesting is it would talk about how many lawyers it would take out of the market. Um, it would talk about how many accountants it would take out of the market. It was really reluctant to talk about replacing financial planners. And that wasn't for the, for the lack of trying. So I think, you know, my key message in all of this is, there is an enormous opportunity to transform your business. Um, you'll be able to do more, more effectively in less time. And essentially, as I see it, advisors who don't use AI will either be replaced by advisors or who do, or to do the same as the advisor that does use AI, they'll have to work far, far harder than the firm that doesn't. Sure. Yeah, and you've you've touched on some of the um some of the risks there as well. But Chet, I guess from your perspective, in terms of the silicon chip that um that Ian is talking about, how exactly does this relate to financial advice? Um, you know, and in terms of some of those um risks that Ian has mentioned there, and what sort of work has EV been doing on this front? Yeah, I just I just wanted to touch on a a couple of points that Ian made there. Um, actually, so I think AI isn't new. It's been around for quite some time um, and it's already used in a number of fields. So healthcare, for example, it's used in autonomous vehicles. Um, it's already used in financial services, but it is still in its infancy. 
Um, and there's a huge amount of potential for AI in financial services. And the amount of money that's now being invested in AI is, is just staggering, um, really. And we'll undoubtedly see lots of market solutions appear um, over the coming years. And, and the pace of adoption is just incredible. So it's, it's an interesting world and, and it is going to evolve. I think from a from an EV perspective, just to give everyone a, just a little bit of background, so we provide technology solutions to help individuals with financial planning. So historically, that's typically been in the kind of guidance space where individuals use some tools to get a better understanding of the situation, and then use some tools to understand what they could do or what they could, what the situation could look like. Or our tools are used by advisors who might give. Um, advice to individuals um, around investment, retirement, et cetera, et cetera. But, but now you've got this space of digital and hybrid advice as well. So those are the kind of areas that we we support um, individuals. And there's really four key areas that we've looked at adopting um, AI. So firstly, it won't be a surprise to kind of disseminate information or large chunks of information and present that in a way that really resonates with individuals based on the characteristics, um, because with AR, what you can really do is personalise some some of the content. Um, so that's one way I think most people will be aware of that. There's been lots of mention. Um, the, the other area that we're, we're starting to work with um, AI is using it with an avatar. So really combining AI avatars or, or chatbots to work alongside some of our calculation and forecast APIs. And the real benefit of that is so, you know, an individual, for example, may look at their retirement forecast um, and based on the outcome, they can use the AI avatar to kind of explore a number of predefined options to, to look at um, to get better retirement um, standards, basically, or, or achieve a higher standard of retirement. So, for example, the avatar might say, you know, would you want to contribute more? What does that look like? Do you want to look at retiring later or consider other investments or pensions that, that they may have? So the communication can be by text. It can be by voice as well. And that's using AIs and avatar together. And we're actually launching that in June um, and it will continue to refine it and evolve it based on feedback. And then the third way to use it is, is a little bit of an evolution of that. So rather than giving predefined ways of um, supporting individuals, you can link AI, AI avatars to um, a database behind the scenes, kind of kind of like ChatGPT, um, to answer a broad range of questions around financial services. Um, and we're launching a at launching an app retirement digital and hybrid solution later this year, aimed at the mass market. And as part of that, we'll have an AI avatar in place to help individuals through the journey. So they'll be able to ask questions, um, and we've created a proprietary database for the avatar and the AI to use to ensure that any responses from the avatar are auditable. And from a compliance perspective, we're comfortable with what's being communicated to individuals. Um, and there's there's a range of engines that can be used with AI. I think that's a, that's another point. You know, we mentioned chat GPT, for example, they've gone through a number of iterations with the engines. Um, and whenever there is an implementation, it's extremely important that from a financial services perspective, that it that you know the answers that are given are auditable um, from a compliance perspective. That's really really important. Um, uh, sorry, the the final way that we're looking to use it is is a little bit of an extension of that. But rather than having a lockdown database, we're working with a client in the US 
to use the same sort of AI avatar type of functionality, but with a wider database um, by using a process um, called embedding and fine tuning and using an AI engine, which can then provide some real lifelike um, variation in responses to questions, kind of like you get from Jack, um, ChatGPT. And it's interesting because yesterday I asked ChatGPT, what is artificial intelligence? And then I asked it, what is AI? And I got two different answers off the back of that. Similar points were raised, but the way it was positioned was quite different. Now, go and check it, you know, it, and, and that's quite interesting. So if from a compliance perspective, if you're an individual who's who is going to use a process where AI is embedded, you've got to be, you know, you've got to be completely comfortable with the outcomes or or the communications that are there. So that's an interesting point. And something as simple as what is AI and what is artificial intelligence can give you different answers based on the database and the engine that you use. But um, yeah, that's four ways that we're looking to um, implement it. And that's just the start of it, to be honest. There's lots of potential beyond that. And these are just practical implementations that we're looking at right now. There's another way I think is quite interesting about in thinking about it. Um, one thing that large language models have shown themselves to be good at is writing something to target a particular age group. So one of the big challenges facing advisors um, and actually the industry as a whole as a result of consumer duty is everything we are supposed to be producing should be understandable by the target audience which as someone pointed out um, when the FCA were launching uh, the work, you know, the, a journalist asked the question, are you asking the financial services industry to make up for the shortcomings of the education system? I mean, you know, we have a national literacy and numeracy age in this country of about 10. So most people aren't intellectually equipped or many people are not intellectually equipped um, to actually understand what we're delivering to them. Um, I've done some of the work we've done uh, has taken some rather complex uh, terms. For example, we looked at um, doing some work with somebody who worked with one of the top five accounting practices, specializing in the tax implications of private equity. And we took one of the most complex tax concepts um, asked ChatGPT to explain it, which it did, and the accountant was very impressed by the quality of the answer. I then asked ChatGPT to explain it in language a 15-year-old would understand, to which the accountant's immediate reaction was, that's impossible. Less than 45 seconds later, out was coming an explanation in language so i i do see going forward i can envisage a scenario where advisors will probably have to deploy tests to understand um the level of literacy and numeracy of their customers will have to do this very discreetly but it is possible um, you can actually do it by looking at things that they write for example um and then I can see a link through to part of your process actually will be, well, how do we, if we know that person has that level of um, 
numeracy or literacy, we must make sure that we deliver the information in at a, at a suitable level. Um, I think that'll be particularly, that may not affect large numbers of advisors' clients, but anywhere where there's a vulnerable client, and that actually when you look at the definitions, there are an awful lot of things that make somebody vulnerable. Um, Jane, you will appreciate as a writer, being asked to write something for a specific age to understand is quite a challenging task. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, no, it does. It does sound, when you talk about it there, it does sound like it's going to be an absolute game changer. And I'm just curious, is, is that your sense? Like, is this the kind of the handbook that we've had to now is kind of being ripped up and it's a totally new I, landscape going it, forward? I, I think from, from, from my perspective, I think, you know, I think Ian's absolutely spot on there's a huge amount of benefit that can come from AI. Um, I think one of the areas that is particularly of, of interest to me personally, and I, I think for, for EVC Advice Gap, there's a huge number of individuals out there who do not get the support that they need when it comes to financial planning. Um, and typically we've looked at areas like hybrid or digital advice, for example, or the boundary between advice and guidance to help these individuals. But a big issue with hybrid and digital, or a big concern has been the concerns around the reduced human interaction so you know advisors offer something quite incredible that often gets overlooked um which is really the empathy side and the listening the understanding the explaining of situations when when individuals are going through for example market downturns high levels of inflation that we've seen now digital and hybrid um that's that's a big loss when you don't have that human interaction but you've got to reduce the human interaction to reduce the cost. So there's this kind of trade-offs that you have. Where AI can really help and will help us moving forward, I think, is bring some of that personalization, that interaction, that engagement that advisors can offer, but it won't replace advisors. But I think what you can do is build more engaging journeys that can help individuals. And that will benefit individuals and consumers, but it will also benefit advisors because what it means is advisors can focus on the areas that they really add value. They don't need to worry about some of the administration tasks, collecting information, processing information, because to be frank, where advisors add, really, add a lot of value is explaining results, providing comfort. And we're already starting to see it, the personalization of information as you go through a journey. So for example, as Ian said, based on someone's banking data or how they're accessing the solution, you can probably pick up things like vulnerabilities. You can pick up things around their budgets that they may not otherwise you know, admit because humans can lie, whereas data often doesn't. So the use of, I think, AI um, and, and especially the processing of data and personalization is going to be a game changer. And I think it will help the advice gap. But I think more importantly, it will allow advisors to focus on the areas where they really add value because to be frank, from an advisor perspective, we've got an advisor shortage in this country. You know, AI is not going to replace advisors. It's going to support them in helping more individuals. Um, so it's really a win-win, I think, moving forwards um, from my perspective. Well, I think, Chet, coming back to Jane's original question, you know, are, are we at a sort of watershed moment? Um, I think definitely we are. Um the reality is we do have an awful lot of advisors heading towards retirement and those that are running their own businesses being offered very attractive sums to exit. By the same token, you know, anyone under 50 
um, you know, you would have to say that's planning on staying around in this industry until their normal retirement um, does need to start thinking differently. Now, we're doing a lot of work uh, with firms. There are a growing number of AI-driven um, and hybrid automated advice services. We're doing a lot of work with firms to help them uh, select the right hybrid advice partner. And it, and it really does bring up a whole load of new questions that people haven't had to think about before. Because you do need to look at, well, hang on, is that customer always going to stay in one model or are they going to move to a more personal advice or will they step down to a very streamlined process? Um, and that's the sort of, I mean, you know, Chet's been one of the firms that's been involved in some of the work that we've been doing here. Um, it certainly drives new thinking into advice businesses. It opens up a whole world of possibilities because let's face it, most of those people that Chet's just been talking about are people that the advice community hasn't wanted as customers. It hasn't been economic for them as customers. Um, but we've also got to recognize that the yeah, for the advice firm, the AUA model doesn't work for the overwhelming majority of people under 45. They haven't acquired the assets yet to throw off the you know significant um, fees on an AUA basis. So we really do need to change the way in which we're working. But these tools are coming along at exactly the right time to make us enable us to become far more sophisticated uh, or more automated and how we deliver across a far wider the opportunity for advice in this country and the demand for it is bigger than it's ever been the need is greater than it's ever been and there is an opportunity i'm absolutely convinced we're going to see over the next three to seven years some vastly different types of advice firms um, emerge, still keeping to the very important core principles of advice, but delivering it in different ways and being able to adapt through the use of technology to match the right service to the right customer at the right price. Yeah, and that potential there of making it more accessible to so many more people, I think, is one of the like key benefits that it can offer. But then when we kind of look at the flip side of the coin then, and if we think about some of the um, risks or concerns that kind of surround mm -hmm. AI and the rollout, um, Chet, I guess I'll come to you first. Do you have any concerns about the speed at which we're seeing um, artificial intelligence develop or about the, the regulation that currently exists? It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think we've seen a number of high profile individuals in the press talk about the dangers of AI more, more broadly, not just financial services. Um, and I've, I've kind of mentioned from a financial services perspective, I've mentioned some of the things to be aware of when adopting AI. I think, you know, you've got to be mindful that there is, you know, there's various engines out there. Um, there's, there's a huge number of solutions already out there that are available, understanding how they're used um, and especially the variation of responses that can come back, I think is absolutely critical. I think for a lot of larger financial institutions at least, I can imagine a lot of the compliance teams being, you know, combing through a lot of the services that are used with AI. 
you've got to be completely comfortable with what's going to go out there for consumers to see. Are you 100% comfortable, especially with the compliance process? You have to be 100% comfortable with anything that's being shown. Then you've got issues around intellectual property, uh, confidentiality issues about any data information that's used. And I think the key thing for me is that it's still pretty much in its infancy. Um, we're going to see a lot of evolution. The amount of money that we've seen pumped through, it's enormous. But but I think the one thing I would say is it's not just AI. Uh, I think um, AI is not going to come along and it's not the silver bullet. I think in financial services, over the last five years in particular, we've often spoken about technology coming along to really drive efficiency, drive engagement. And AI is part of that. So it's not just a case of implementing AI. I think you should, you know, we should be looking at AI along with other approaches across technology, across hybrid and digital advice, across algorithms that are used to really build journeys and processes that focus on the end individual. And, and Ian made a great point there, consistency for an individual and a giving choice, whether they move from guidance, digital or hybrid or face-to-face -face advice. I think AI is really going to help us to to almost accelerate that process in supporting individuals and getting advice firms in a more efficient place for those who adopt it. So there's lots of positives. There are a few things to be mindful of, but the key thing is it's still in, it's still in its infancy. We're going to see a huge amount of evolution over, over the coming years, I think. So it's, it's quite an exciting place to be, I think. There, I think also there are some issues that firms need to start really grappling with. Like, for example... They do need to look at their IT budgets. Um, advisors' IT budgets historically have been relatively modest. Um, I would say most firms need to be looking to provide for an IT budget of, say, three times whatever they're spending at the moment. But they need to also look at what will that enable them to do. Um, really, really important thing is absolutely make sure you sweat every last bit of functionality out of the software that you buy. Yeah. So many advisors complain that they only use 10% of X or Y packages. The prices are not going to come down because different advisors use a different 10%. But if you're paying for a piece of software and you're not getting the most out of it, you're not getting the value for money that you deserve. I think one of the things firms do need to be willing to adapt their processes a little bit to the way the technology works. If you're trying to build technology for three, four, five thousand advisors to use, those three, four, five thousand advisors don't all work exactly the same. So you inevitably come up with something that's trying to meet as many people as possible. If you're going to get you want to be an adopter of technology. In my experience, the firms that really try and adopt the way the technology works rather than trying to adapt the technology around their process and change the way something's designed to work won't get the same return on investment. But also understand if you're spending money on additional software license fees, how many people that is that? What is that enabling you to do, which means you don't have to hire more people? I think there's an a huge moral question coming up, not just for advice firms, but for society in general. Going back to my observation earlier that it's anticipated that AI will remove about 40% 
um, of the work from professional services businesses. Now, does that mean you're going to cut the headcount by 40%? So you're going to have a significant loss of jobs? Or does it actually mean that you might reduce the amount of time that everybody's spending in the office? Could we could we see advice firms using AI able to operate as, fish, as efficiently three days a week as they could without using AI five days a week? Um, I've instituted a, an exercise within our own business to look at, as we measure each time we bring in AI, can I move the firm to a four-day-a-week rather than a three-day-a-week business and share some of the benefits with the team? Don't know how it'll work. It's a fascinating project. Uh, I may end up being hostage to fortune. Who will know? But I do think there's this question about properly getting your head around how much time this is going to take me. Who does this free up in the business? How can we work differently? Um and a key thing with any new technology that you put in, work out how you are going to measure it in advance. Make sure that you have the processes to get the right metrics. Because if you don't do that, you're six, 12 months down the line, and somebody will say to you, well, how did that work out? What's it? What dividends has it given us? And if you haven't worked out in advance how you're going to measure it, that's where it gets difficult. So, you know, under, understand, embrace these things fully, get the best use out of them, make your software supplier train you on them, and then be clear and have ways of measuring the value that you are getting. Mm-hmm. That goes for all software, not just AI. Yeah. Amy delivered kind of good news and bad news there. First, you tell people they'll need to spend three times more of their IT spending currently. And I say advisors are going, oh, my God. And then I loved how you skipped from you didn't even consider a four day week. You went straight from a five day week to a three day week, which I think a lot of people would love to hear. So, um, yeah, great mix. We've got to see the upsides and the downsides yeah. of both. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess, Chet, then if we think about what um, firms can be doing currently, and I'm thinking, you know, not just the bigger firms, the smaller advice firms, is there stuff they can be doing at the moment to to integrate AI into their business to help um, improve their efficiency? Yeah, so, so I just want to quickly touch on, you know, I think, you know, Ian made, made some good points there. There is the ability as well as reducing um, some of the time to potentially serve more customers as well and, and generate more revenues if they can increase efficiency. It's interesting because I did see an article the other day, I think it was perhaps from some data in, in Bark Group had, had seen with advisors. But, but part of the problem we've got with consumer duty increase in insurance costs and um, just, you know, just the amount of work that advisors are having to do now, the likelihood is um, the minimum threshold for investable assets is going to have to increase, further pushing people away from advice. Um, and the cost of advice is likely to go up too. So what AI and technology will help us do is find efficiencies to, to get to a more sustainable place. And you know, we've mentioned it before, but uh, advisors really don't have to worry. I think the number of individuals that need support and the reducing number of advisors, or at least we've had stagnating number of advisors, and we've got, it's an incredible stat, but I think 50% of advisors are now over 50, and to Ian's point, most of them may look to step away, so it's only going to get worse. So actually, the advisor 
space is probably in a good place in terms of target audience. The question for us is how can we support advisors in reducing some of that cost um, to support more individuals so you know they can gain from productivity and efficiency. And there are some things that we can do right now. I think Ian mentioned it. There's software out there that can help to tailor communications um, to individuals based on age, based on particular characteristics that's available right now. Um, I, I think there's there's probably more potential and I think excitement around some of the larger networks and the more vertically integrated financial institutions because, you know, as Ian said, a lot of this will cost money to adopt. They have the money to spend. They have the consumer base. And I think that's where we're starting to see a lot of the noise and a lot of movement. And I think, Ian, you're probably seeing it too, right? Especially these large institutions. They want to build more engaging solutions. They want to make the most of the consumers or individuals they've currently got on their books. And the question for them is, right, if we're adopting more technology, if we're, if we're going to look at AI, how can we make the most of this? And how can we try and get more people into financial advice? And I think... I think on picking up on that, if I may, it's really interesting to look at, you know, to offer some light in an area that most advisors find a dark corner. Um, getting information from insurance companies, especially when it's a closed book case. Um, I'm aware of a number of insurers and platforms are looking at how they can use chatbots um, to actually serve up that, you know, when one sees on social media groups, advisors bemoaning having to wait an hour or two to get a single phone call answered by XYZ companies, mm. certainly some of those companies are right now preparing to um, use AI chatbots to respond to some of those requests and literally run a system where the quality of the um artificial voice is now beginning to get so good that most people can, can't tell but part of the pre-process there is a stage i was given an example the other day where the system actually says i think you need to talk to a human now so you know some of those areas that have been enormously frustrating and i think you know subject to Obviously, one needs to be very, very careful that you don't cross an advice border. But, you know, think about the opportunity to deploy chatbots on advisors' own websites, which can take simple inquiries while they are, are out, out of the office, that can begin to progress things so that you, you come in on a Monday morning um, to not just a series of messages, please phone the following clients, but please phone the following clients. They're, in, they're interested in this area, and I've asked them these questions already so that you can go back to them with a more informed answer. Yeah. I, I think there's one one interesting example that I've seen recently. I can't remember when I read about it, and it might have been Morningstar, but on their platform, um, I believe they're using AI machine learning um, and that's to really understand. So what they've done is basically looked at the mass amount of data that they've they've got, and they can pick up certain flags where individuals may end up leaving the platform. So they can see some of the areas of the pages that they go to, what kind of information they look at, information that's been requested. And what, what the platform can do is 
let the advisor know so the advisor can step in because some of the reasons might be life events so the individual might be going through some difficulties there might be some vulnerabilities in place and that allows the advisor to step in support the individual um, and potentially retain that client now that's quite fascinating because that's ai but then the machine learning piece is then picking up more instances uh, refining the model so there might be some individuals that are flagged that you know are fine they were never going to leave so that model continues to get refined and that's a really interesting way of seeing how ai and machine learning is being used and yeah i was and that's already there that's out there um, yeah I mean, that, that was acquired by them with their uh through premium when they bought that business last year premium had been running for some time on their client portals a service where they could monitor client behavior yeah and identify, you know, what series of behaviours indicated that a, a client had a, was heading towards the outdoor, if you like, they had a propensity yeah. to leave. There's, there's, there's a whole load of things we can do, again, with AI, understanding client behaviour on the way they look at your website. You know, we're going to have to get, get used to assimilating and understanding, because that's, that's the key point, vast amounts of data there's probably a question for a lot of advisors to start thinking about is at what point do they have hire in um, a data specialist or will there become a market in fractional data specialists um, we are seeing this more and more in certain roles again fractional CTOs Firm, firms can't afford, small firms frequently can't have a, afford to have a, a full-time CTO, but they can have chief technology officers that might work with them two days a month. Um, similarly, that's a way that firms are acquiring you know, data protection knowledge and expertise as well. You have to have these roles, if you like, around a notional board table yes. filled because they're really important but you don't necessarily have to, for most firms, having somebody full-time in that role for most smaller businesses would be uneconomic. Um, but we're, we're definitely seeing huge change in the makeup of advice businesses. Um, it, there's huge, I think everyone in the industry needs to be thinking around, what are the key talents I will need in three years time i mean one area particularly that is vulnerable is para planners because you know for the last several years invariably when i start talking to ceos in large advice firms there's a joke about ian can you find me a robo para planner we've got loads of them they do great jobs but they're costing us a lot of money um my answer to that and my answer to any para planner worrier worrying about that is become the person that understands the technology inside out in your business. Because the one person that will not be made redundant or have their job cut is the person that knows the best way to get the best out of the technology in the business. They're crucial. Probably the most important thing in terms, in terms of being employable in the next 15 years is gonna be the ability to leverage and get the most out of whatever technology is available to you. So I, I think I would just say for 
everyone. You know, that's a really strong thing you can do to reinforce your value within any, any business. Certainly. And I'm just conscious of time now, so we're going to have to wrap it up, I think. But Chet, final thoughts from you. Would you agree with what Ian's saying there? Companies really need to make this investment now because that's where the industry is going. And if you want to stay in the game, you have to really put the put the money in. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I, I think that's that. That's almost, um, you know, if you if you don't look at AI and technology and, and the adoption of it, I think you'll get left behind. Um, the question for me, I guess, is how it gets adopted across the different size of firms, if I'm honest. Um, I can see the larger vertically educated institutions, the larger institutions, the larger networks um, invest you know, a fair sum of money in technology and AI. We're starting to see already, you know, from an EV perspective and Ian and seeing it too. I think for, for the smaller advisor firms, there's really a question of how much they can do with AI and tech, how much of it is off the shelf type of solutions where they just kind of purchase and adopt something. Um, but, but I do think ultimately, you know, AI and technology in general is going to have a positive impact on the industry. I think it's going to help more individuals access advice, which is a good thing. We've got a shortfall or an advice gap here in the UK. I think it will help advisors to really focus on the areas where they really add value, which which is really important. This is not going to get rid of advisors. Um, so in, in terms of power planners, there's an interesting question of how we will see the evolution of advisor tools out there to kind of automate some of the tasks and some of the planning activity but um you know that's 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 still to be found out but but i, I do agree with ian's point i think with technology you've got to look at adopting it you've got to look at getting on the front foot and understanding how it can add value so yeah so i'm i'm a little bit unsure about how it might affect power planners i, I think um it will have a positive impact on the industry and, and certainly a positive impact for advisors as well undoubtedly so watch this space Okay, well, we're going to leave it there for this week. It's certainly going to be an interesting time ahead. Chat and Ian, thank you so much for joining us and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I hope you all have a great weekend and we'll be back next week for another episode of the FT Advisor podcast. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.